United Methodist People podcast, episode number 10, The Bishops Speak, with Bishop Gregory Vaughn Palmer from the West Ohio Conference. Hello, this is Bishop Julius Trimble from the Indiana area, and you are connecting with the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, doing all the good we can. Uh, is tell the pallbearers to stand down. They can they can take off their white gloves, and um, um, the the church writ large uh, is going to go on, but it's going to change. And the United Methodist Church will be moving forward into a bright future. But it doesn't mean it's not going to be hard work, and it doesn't mean there will not be pinch points and places of pain. Welcome to the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to accomplishing the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist People Podcast helps clergy and church leaders connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from the people making a difference in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And now, here's Brad. Hello, my good friend and fellow United Methodist, and welcome to the United Methodist People podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, and each week we come to you with some news and notes about the United Methodist Church. It is our mission in the United Methodist People podcast to strengthen the connection in our beloved church through conversation and commentary for the expressed purpose of fulfilling our mission as a church of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I'm a local church pastor in the Indiana Conference, been in ministry for almost 40 years. Love our church, I know you do too, and know that our church is going through some challenging times right now. One of the ways that we can speak to our challenging times is to have great conversation and commentary about the things that matter in our church. And we continue our conversation and commentary by having conversations with the bishops of the United Methodist Church. We will have a series of interviews and conversations with our bishops leading up to the called General Conference in February of 2019. We'll discuss the matters of the church. Today, in a few minutes, we'll be talking to Bishop Gregory Vaughn Palmer of the West Ohio Conference. We'll be addressing such issues as how we're accomplishing our mission in a church and his views on the way forward. We're recording this in August of 2018, and not too long ago, the full report of the commission on the way forward was released. Several languages, four different languages, I believe. And it's a 93-page report, and of course, that's what our church will be dealing with at the General Conference in February 2019. And it boils down to three different three different. Um, uh, proposals uh, within this 93-page report. We'll put the links to the report in our uh, show notes. We invite you to check that out. I just want to give you a brief synopsis of these as we be part of our conversation and commentary uh, in our in our podcast episode here today. And then a little bit later on, we'll have some some comments and remarks from Bishop Palmer. Three plans that were presented, and of course, you know, like any other anything else, it's uh, likely that. Uh, Whatever shakes out in the general conference will be uh, some somehow amended form of one of these. 
But I just wanted to lift them up to you. Just a brief summary. Of course, I'm not going to go through all 93 pages, but just a brief summary that you can take a look at there in these. Well, one of them is the the uh, one of the primary plans is called the One Church Plan. I just want to lift up a couple of possibilities about that. It's on page 11 of this 93-page report, and the key thing is the One Church Plan gives churches the room they need to maximize the presence of a United Methodist witness in as many places as possible in the world. And in the summary of the plan, it says it provides a generous unity that gives conferences, churches, and pastors the flexibility to uniquely reach their missional context without disbanding the connectional nature of the United Methodist Church. In the One Church Plan, no annual conference, bishop, congregation, or pastors are compelled to act contrary to their convictions. The plan maintains the leadership structure of the United Methodist Church, including the Council of Bishops, the General Conference, the Annual Conferences, as one body and one church, and it offers greater freedom to many who desire but do not want to violate the Book of Discipline. And some of the details about that is that it removes the language from the Book of Discipline used in the United States that restricts pastors and churches from conducting same-sex weddings and annual conferences from ordaining self-avowed practicing homosexual persons. It adds language that intentionally protects the religious freedom of pastors and churches who choose not to perform or host same-sex weddings and boards of ordained ministry and bishops who choose not to credential or ordain self-avowed practicing homosexual persons. Central conferences can adapt portions of the Book of Discipline for their own contextual practices and are not bound by decisions taken in jurisdictional conferences. This plan provides United Methodist the ability to address the missional context in different ways. So that's my brief summation of the one church plan taken directly from the text without much commentary on my part. I wouldn't really, it's a very lengthy discussion of that in the report. I highly advise you to go take a look at it for yourself. The second one I wanted to mention is called the Connectional Plan, and it is listed on page 26 of the report. And the Connectional Conference Plan reflects, here's in the summary, a unified core that includes shared doctrine and services. This plan creates three values-based connectional conferences that have distinctive definitions of accountability, contextualization, and justice. Current Central Chalk Conferences have the choice of becoming their own connectional conference, up to five additional connectional conferences, or join one of the three values-based connectional conferences. A redefined Council of Bishops focuses on ecumenical relationships and shared learning. Episcopal oversight, accountability, elections, assignments, and funding occur within the Council of Bishops for each connectional conference. You can see that plan is based more on ideology in some regards. So I would just commend you, or would just lift up to you, without much more comment, the, the connectional conference plan. The third plan that was added, it was added uh, by the Commission of the Way Forward towards the end of their time uh, together, was called, is called the Traditionalist Plan. And the summary of the Traditionalist Plan is, is that the, would be the primary action is, has to be with continued accountability for the current Book of Discipline, and particularly the, specific, the specificity of the language. The disciplinary language and implications in a bullet point uh, form would be to broaden the definition of self-avowed practicing homosexuals to include persons living in same-sex marriage or civil union or persons who publicly state that they are practicing homosexuals. A mandate that, not, that any just resolution shall include a commitment not to repeat the offense. Require every annual conference to certify they will uphold, enforce, and maintain the discipline standards on LGBTQ marriage and ordination. Annual conferences that do not 
not so certified would be encouraged to form something similar to an autonomous, affiliated, or concordant church. And as of 2021, annual conferences who could not so certify could no longer use the United Methodist name and logo. They could no longer receive any funds from the United Methodist Church. This plan would also require bishops active and retired to certify they will uphold, enforce, and maintain the disciplined standards in LGBTQ marriage and ordination. Active bishops who did not so certify would not be eligible to receive compensation for expenses as of 2021 and would be encouraged to join the autonomous affiliate or concordant church formed by the above annual conferences. That's on page 55 of the report. So I just want to lift that up to you. I just really want to encourage every concerned United Methodist person, clergy, laity, uh, concerned folks of all ages, to read the report. Get in there. I'm going to put a link to it into our show notes, which you can catch at unitedmethodistpodcast.com. And you can to the full 93-page report. Let's be prepared, folks, for conversation and commentary. It's also on our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com, where you can have a free gift that we have for you, which is a presentation called The Methodist Way. It gives an outline of some of our Methodist uh, theology that you can use as a resource in preaching or teaching. We invite you to do that and to share the good news about our podcast to other folks who you think it may be helpful to vessel for a conversation and commentary about about the church and we invite you to uh, to make good use of that helpful to us if you go over to itunes and give us a rating and a review a five-star rating is very helpful for people to find us and to learn more about the united methodist podcast a, a review is just a couple of lines that you can put there on itunes say more about it and then subscribe is a helpful thing to do on iTunes. You can also find us on Stitcher and some other places. And we also encourage you to go to our uh, Facebook page. That's uh, uh, facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast. And there we can have ongoing conversation and commentary about what is going on in our beloved United Methodist Church. We know that a certain group, of, we all love our church, but our United Methodist bishops are highly involved and engaged in what is going on in the life of our church now. Our council bishops have been working hard with the Commission on the Way Forward about providing leadership and training and inspiration and guidance into what's the next steps for our church. And one such person is in both of those categories. Bishop Gregory Von Palmer is the Bishop of the West Ohio Conference. He also is a member, was a member of the Commission on the Way Forward. So he was involved with the process of creating the document that uh, I want to encourage you to take a look at. And so he, in our conversation today, he had quite a bit to say about how about the nature of the commission on the way forward and how those folks work together and how they came uh, went through the process of working through arriving to the decisions that they made and created the document that they have created so we're looking forward to hearing from bishop palmer today he's the episcopal leader of the ohio west area united methodist church he's been there since september 1 of 2012 He's a child of the church, born and reared in Philadelphia. He's a son of Reverend and Mrs. Herbert and Charlotte Sue Hugh Palmer. His father was a retired, is a retired United Methodist pastor. His mother, now deceased, was a school teacher in the Philadelphia Public Schools. Bishop Palmer is educated at George Washington University and and at Duke University for seminary, and he's received a number of honorary degrees as well. He was ordained in the Eastern Pennsylvania Conference, and he was served in for many years in full connection in the East Ohio Conference, and he served churches and pastors in North Carolina and in several places in Ohio until two year 2000 when he was elected to the Episcopacy by the North Central Jurisdiction and was assigned to Iowa area, where he served there for several years and then was assigned to Illinois in 2008 and 
and then in 2012, Kyle West. He and his wife, Cynthia, have been married for 42 years. They have two adult, adult children. He's involved with all kinds of missions and ministry, involved with the life of the church, very intimate. You're going to love our conversation here with Bishop Gregory Palmer from the West Ohio Conference. So let's get into our conversation with Bishop Palmer right now. Welcome back to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, where it is our mission to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church through conversation and through talking with leaders in our church. And today, we are very pleased to continue our series of messages of podcast episodes about the Bishop Speak. Bishop Gregory Palmer, Gregory Von Palmer, is with us today. He is the Bishop of the Ohio West Area of the United Methodist Church. He's been in that position since September of 2012. He's been in the Episcopacy since the year 2000, uh, serving in Iowa and also in Illinois in the Episcopacy. And he is... uh, a child of the church, and we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. And we're just pleased as we can be on the United Methodist People podcast to have Bishop Gregory Palmer. Bishop, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, friend. Well, certainly glad to have you here. We're seeking to speak to as many bishops as we can before uh, February of 2019 rolls around. A lot uh-huh. of things happening in the church. But I always like, Bishop, just to find out a little more about you and your journey in faith. You mentioned I mentioned in our introduction that you're a child of the church. Tell me a little bit what that means for you, about your faith walk, how you came to faith in Christ, and your journey then through ministry and event into your position now in the Episcopacy. Sure. Thanks very much. Um, I was um, born and, and reared in the life of the church. As it happens, my dad um, is a uh, retired elder in um, the Eastern Pennsylvania Conference, and um uh, I'm an only child, um, which uh, people can draw their own conclusions about that and make sorts, sort of all sorts of jokes about family birth order and only children, etc. And, um, you know, baptized at a very early age and then uh, more importantly, even than being presented for baptism, perhaps, is that my parents uh, did follow through and uh, took me uh, to Sunday school and to church uh, when I was of age to uh, to do that. And so um, I was influenced by their faith in the household. Um, by their faith that I observed at work as they lived their lives, um, and by the people in the congregations of which we we were a part. So I have very vivid memories of the faith, not only of my folks, but of Christian faith of other members of the family, and of people that taught me Sunday school um, about three or four years ago. Um, I ran into an event, into a person at an event uh, out east that was the very first Sunday school teacher that I remember, and. Uh, and and it was uh, she looked up at me and said, "Do you remember who I am?" And when she told me who she was, I I was brought to tears um, because my image was of myself as um, a preschooler sitting in a a red chair uh, in a in a room in a small church in the city city of Philadelphia. So lots of people, uh, starting with my parents, grandparents, um, and the people in the local congregations uh, where we moved about that uh, influenced me uh, in terms of the Christian faith and convinced me that um, it was important um, to love and serve God through Jesus Christ. And 
the emphasis that my parents put on it uh, was that um, your calling to be a Christian uh, is also a calling to serve humanity and to make the world a better place by your life and by the work that you do for the transformation and the healing of uh, persons and communities. So I'm forever grateful and um, um, still um, see um, see my dad, um, you know, multiple times a year. We're not in the same city, but he's 93 years old. And what I sense from him is that he continues to grow in his discipleship um, and in his faith. And one of the remarkable things that I remember um, my mother saying about him, she's deceased. She said, you know, um, referring to my dad as Herb, his name is Herbert, um, I, I never saw him preach any harder in one church than in another. Mm. He always gave it uh, more than 100%. Mm. So from the smallest churches to the largest ones that he ever served, um, she saw nothing but the full investment of his self and uh, his, his all in all in the ministry of that church. And what a compliment for someone as close as your spouse uh, to make that, that observation. And I would concur. Um, amazing. And, now, it's, uh, yeah. and it's just amazing that you're carrying on that legacy now of working not only passion for Christ, but passion for service and the mm-hmm. passion that carries through. And that's part of his legacy in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say for both of my parents, um, my wife, uh, my mother, rather, was a deeply active uh, lay woman and um, um, had a tremendous ministry in public education and um, in Christian education inside of the church and uh, really engaged in the formation of uh, not only me, but of other people. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, you took it a bit further Mm-hmm. In a sense, you must have felt some sort of call to ministry that's led you into uh, into the ministry and eventually to the serving local churches and eventually mm-hmm. as a district superintendent and now the Episcopacy for some time. Tell us a little bit about your call to ministry. Mm-hmm. The call came to me in, in uh, multiple ways. Um, I would say first through the stories of the scriptures and having awakened in me Um, a capacity in hearing some of those great call narratives, I wonder what God is saying to me, who God is inviting me to be. And of course, it's always about the quality of your life, how you live your life. But am I being called to a place of particular uh, and perhaps lifetime service in the church? So you think of Isaiah's call, Jeremiah's call was tremendously influential on me as I heard that those stories preached and told about in Sunday school. The second place where I sensed any rumbling on the inside of me was um, through the adults in my life who invited me to pay attention that there might just be a claim um, beyond baptism on your life. Uh, And that came through uh, more through Sunday school teachers than through family. But what my family and my dad and mom in particular um, helped me to do was to begin to sort out uh, those voices and uh, from my dad particularly uh, learning um, practices that would help me listen for the voice of God, so to speak, and to distinguish all of the calls that come to any human being uh, that lay claim on our time, our resources, um, and um, what have you, to to begin to distinguish that voice. Um, and so over time, um, a sense of call and claim uh, did bubble up in me. Um, I, I did not 
um, you know, I, I don't have any uh, Damascus Road story, um, or I didn't go in the temple on the Lord's Day, Isaiah 6, um, and, um, uh, he, uh, you know, hear the uh, doorposts of the temple uh, sort of uh, quaking or, or shuddering, but did have this deep inner sense and tested that in conversations uh, with adult leaders, uh, with my own dad, uh, with some other clergy, uh, with, uh, I would say, as a younger person, a select group of friends that I... Uh, hope wouldn't laugh at me. And uh, even what I found out from my friends, um, you know, high school and college friends, like, like, dude, what took you so long? Um, We've seen this all along. That's great information uh, right there, isn't it? My goodness. It it really is. It really Mm -hmm. is. So so that's, that's uh, sort of the genesis of the call. And I've tried to be obedient to that. I was able to distinguish, you know, that my call was beyond the call of the Laos, uh, meaning to go further in terms of preparation, education. Sure. And I imaged myself as a pastor and, uh, and a leader in the life of the church, um, though I never expected particularly to hold any, any office other than to be um, the leader of a congregation. Well, tell me a little bit about then about your congregations that you served and about serving the local church and the importance of the local church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do think that um, the, the, the action uh, in many ways is in the local church, uh, although the local church, um, no more or less than the connectional church, is the universe unto itself. I think we make a mistake when we don't see those as a part of an interdependent system, at least I do. So, but I do think uh, that the place where people more often than not experience formation uh, tends to be uh, over time through local congregations and within that, within smaller groups of people. So, um, and I recognize that some people's um, small formational group may not necessarily be people all from their local church, but I do think that the local church sets a baseline for the ways in which smaller groupings of people uh, can hold one another accountable, can be engaged in study, in fellowship, and in service to the church and to the community. So whether or not that's a Sunday school class, a youth group, um, a Christ care group, um, um, a band, a class, uh, et cetera. Um, I think that that is key. And I've always found that uh, to be important for me. But I've also found accountability and formation uh, in the connectional system. So that even when I was not ordained or licensed to serve the church in that way, uh, found that being involved in um, youth ministry beyond my local church was an important formational uh, piece that allowed me, uh, number one, to see other young people like myself, so not to feel that I was out there isolated amongst a group of just old people, mm-hmm. and uh, and secondly, uh, to grow in a peer group of leaders in, in the annual conference uh, that are having many similar experiences defined by the demographic of age. Um, so I do think the local church is absolutely crucial, indispensable, smaller groups, crucial and indispensable. I do think there are other places where we experience formation, um, but I call them all church. Absolutely. Now, how does your role now as Bishop of West Ohio, how does that support and, uh, help strengthen the connection in those local churches? Mm. 
I do believe that that's that's the role of the connectional church uh, is to assist local congregations in fulfilling the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the uh, transformation of the world. And I think, um, you know, an annual conference or a group of annual conferences or the denomination uh, does that through a number of streams. One is leadership formation for both lay and clergy people. It takes on a variety of uh, expressions. Uh, accountability um, um, for that, I think it's participation in uh, hands-on mission. And I think we all do that in a different way. Uh, so whether or not that's going to places that are distant or near uh, to whatever your geographic base is, it's, it's in some way rolling up your sleeves and opening your heart to the opportunities to engage with people in the places where they live who may or may not be related to the Christian faith. But there are specific needs in those communities um, that uh, call forth the gifts that the church um, that the church uh, has has to offer. Um, and 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 thirdly, it's it's um, through uh, seeing what it is we can be and do together that we might not otherwise be able to be um, and do if we were not uh, connected uh, to one another. And and the configurations are are myriad. I mean, they are clusters of congregations um, in in the same annual conference, maybe even the same district. They are districts. They are annual conferences. In our case, they are jurisdictional and central conferences. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, there's the whole denomination. So there are things that we do in all of those configurations that touch and transform persons, both in the church and uh, beyond uh, any uh, limits of the church um, uh, in communities and in nations. And when it's working well, as you say, whether it be on the local church level or district conference, general conference, central conference, this that be and do, to be and do the, the church. And that's what I really appreciate that comment that you made there about being and doing. And let me ask about how the church is doing in West Ohio. How is it being and doing? What are some of the things happening in West Ohio where the church, where God is doing something cool? Yeah. I've, I, listen, I think there are so many cool things happening in West Ohio, and I'm sure that's multiplied across uh, across the connection. And I say that against the backdrop of, you know, we've been kind of um, – crying in our milk about our numerical decline here and across the denomination in the U.S., um, you know, for a 40-plus year uh, period of time. And and we should pay attention to that. But uh, your invitation is to pay attention to what are the really cool things that are, are going on. And so in, in West Ohio, uh, a couple of things that are remarkable to me. Uh, one is um, um, the ways in which I think we're innovating around creating new faith communities. And I'm not suggesting that's not happening in many, many annual conferences and seeing and being church in multiple settings that don't look like, um, you know, your grandparents' church or even your parents' church or even the church that um, I was more accustomed to uh, than not. So that I find that very exciting because it feels more frontier oriented, like we're going where the people are rather than um, the inaneness of waiting for people simply to come and knock on um, some perceived or real church doors. Um, the second thing that I'm excited about is the way in which we've been responsive in the West Ohio Conference over the last um, five years in particular to creating uh, ministries 
uh, with people whose lives have been affected by uh, incarceration, and may I say by our mass incarceration. So we have all sorts of ministries that are coming out of local churches that are done together by local churches, where people from United Methodist congregations in West Ohio are moving in and out um, of um, 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 facilities that house people um, that we call prisons and correctional facilities and building relationships with people there, relating to families that are left behind. Everybody in jail has left someone behind, um, and that's painful. Uh, and it is uh, even more exciting to see what I, I see people doing collectively and individually in creating opportunities and segues for people to claim a new life, um, and I speak as they, as they become returning citizens who have exited um, the, uh, the, uh, the correctional facility. And that's happening all over West Ohio. It's happening with county facilities, state and uh, federal institutions. And uh, I am pleased that people have been uh, responsive to that. Uh, if there was a third area that I would point out that has been transformative in West Ohio, um, it's it's the ways in which our mission, our global mission partnerships have um, uh, transformed and inspired um, the lives of not only people in places some in some cases far away from here, um, but uh, transformed and inspired our lives um, as we have been changed. Um, in being at work, not only in our local communities, but also remembering that the world is is our is our our parish. And fourthly, I said I was going to stop with three, but fourthly, uh, the resources that have been developed in this conference <laughs> to come alongside congregations that say, we think there's something more for us. We want to claim that. Would you help? And their responsiveness to uh, a number of teaching, coaching, mentoring, what I call coming alongside ministries and resources that the annual conference has been able um, through the good gifts that people have given from local churches to organize and aggregate to touch uh, many congregations at one time. These things that you're talking about here, Bishop, are all having to do with transforming lives in the local church and the, and the uh, ministries to those who are incarcerated and the mission mission efforts that you have. And we've said in our church that our mission is the, is the transformation of the, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And you've been speaking to this a little bit about what is happening, but I just like your assessment about how we are doing in the local church uh, overall or in the church, in the United Methodist Church, overall in accomplishing our mission? Mm -hmm. I think we're doing okay, but I think in the aggregate, we're not knocking the ball out of the park. Um, and I would say, and I'm speaking more in the United States context. Yes. So I want to be um, fair in that regard. So I'm not um, having, um, I don't want it to be a downer, but um, I see a lot of uh, congregations that are doing, as you say, really cool things. And there are probably an equal number, uh, if not more, of congregations that are just stuck. They're stuck in nostalgia. They're stuck um, thinking their best days are behind them. And often it's because... Um, uh, many congregations have become so institutionalized in their ministry that their ministry has become themselves. I don't think anybody plots. You're how talking about the ministry not... of maintenance is what I've heard it called from time I, to time. I like that. That's a good, good way to put it, the ministry of maintenance. And it is not a mission 
to figure out how to just pay the bills. That is not a missional church. A missional church is a church that's always looking beyond itself and believes firmly, to, and I'm paraphrasing Bishop Leslie Newbegin here, that believes that the church does not exist for itself, but it exists for the people who have yet to come and encounter and be encountered by the living Christ. So I think we're doing okay. Uh, I think the way out of just okay to uh, better and best is to point to the places where the uh, life signs are and where congregations uh, have become more courageous and um, and have refused to live on a plateau uh, called uh, maintenance. And I do think they are the best resource to assist the congregations that are stuck because congregation to congregation, pastor to pastor, they can often speak a language uh, and speak with an authenticity uh, to one another that sometimes uh, those of us in the perceived um, uh, bureaucracy, uh, it feels like we're trying to get people to do something they don't wanna do, um, even though our only interest is in in helping. So I think it's gonna take all of us. Yeah, and many times, the ministries and the uh, the uh, churches that you're referring to are very innovative and entrepreneurial in nature, and that is sometimes perceived as a threat in some ways to those established churches. And yet, uh, that's the learning point. That's the edge of what we are what we're doing, I believe. And and I see some hope there as well. Yeah, we also have some challenges in our church, don't we, Bishop? As we oh as yes, we, as we have some major challenges, and and we have this. This phrase that we are using these days in our church called a way forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, this phrase is used to describe the bit of the, uh, I'll just call it a, some people call it a crisis. It is certainly a defining moment for the church, I believe. Mm-hmm. But I would, uh, I know that the bishops recently have had some comments about a way forward, and I'd like to get your take on it right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you just kind of describe what that means, first of all? to our listeners, but also mm-hmm. what are some of the options that are out there? What are some of your feelings about a way forward? Sure, sure, thanks. So let me um, make sure that the uh, listeners to this podcast know that uh, in addition to obviously being a part of the Council of Bishops, I um, have been a member of the Commission on a Way Forward. Uh, it was a great honor. It was a, a lot of work, and there were lots of people on there that uh, worked a lot harder than I did because they were on writing teams and all of that. So I, um, I want to say, secondly, being on the Commission on the Way Forward for that 18-month period of time it is probably the most continuing diverse team uh, that I've had a chance to work intensely with uh, in that period of time. And I would say including the Council of Bishops. And I say that because while the Council of Bishops is a global body uh, on the Commission on the Way Forward, we had lay clergy, et cetera, as well as it being globally uh, reflected. Um, our assignment from the General Conference, roughly hewn, uh, was to see if we could offer something uh, to the church out of that work that would find a way forward, and I would say a way forward out of the impasse that we politically have clearly reached in the life of our church around uh, the right relationship of uh, the Christian faith and human sexuality and gender identity. Um, And I think the way forward was we've been circling, so to speak, uh, a mountain for a long time um, around this conversation on human sexuality, homosexuality uh, in particular. And um, a case could easily be made that um, attention to that, absolutely crucial and important, 
is a continuing conversation and ending up in exactly the same place uh, so frequently since 1972 is that in some way draining energy from our larger mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So by no means so by no means does that mean we shouldn't do this. I think this was an intense look at it and what the special session of the general conference will get to look at intensely is there a way that we can continue the right conversation in this regard that bends us more toward the mission field. So that's the goal. And it was to um, help to, um, this is a phrase from the mission scope and vision statement, maximize, is there a way forward that would help maximize the presence of the United Methodist Church, the ministry of the United Methodist Church in more places rather than in fewer places. As um, is rather public now, um, the, the commission and the council did work uh, interactively, the commission reporting to the council, but the commission ultimately sent work forward uh, to the secretary of the general conference that outlined um, three pathways um, in the form of legislation, uh, one which um, they, they have been proverbially called uh, a one church plan, a traditionalist plan, and a connectional conference uh, plan. Uh, my own hopes uh, and dreams would be that we would not countenance anything that would not um, help there to be um, a United Methodist Church that continues to be unified around mission. Um, my own my, my own hope second would be um, that it would create as much room as possible for as many people as possible. And thirdly, my conviction is um, that while of great importance, um, human sexuality, um, et cetera, um, I do not see human sexuality uh, and homosexuality in particular as a um, church dividing issue. Um, and so that for myself, uh, I've got room for there to be um, more than one approach to that conversation and room for people to have opinions that differ, but it does not rise for Gregory Vaughn Palmer to the level of needing to divide the church. That doesn't mean that other people don't hear it differently. Yeah. I was going to say, I think you have some, so a fair number of folks who would disagree with you on mm -hmm. that, but that it is, you know, it is a uh, make or break issue for a yep. lot of folks yep. and for some churches and so uh, I, I know that going into this whole process, there was a lot of talk at the last general conference about the impasse we were at mm -hmm. and even some contentiousness. I'm just curious. Actually, I don't think I've spoken to anybody yet who's actually on the commission way forward. I'd like to ask you just how that went in terms of how people got along, just progress was made, or is any contentious nature to that group? Or was even though people from a diverse perspectives, how did you all work together? I thought we worked together extraordinarily well. Um, like all new groups that are forming, there was uh, probably some tentativeness at the beginning, not about Jesus Christ and not about the mission, but about what the experience might be like. But it's the tentativeness of like, um, you know, a child going to school on the first day, will I make any friends? Not the tentativeness that there are any bad people or any people that shouldn't be in the room. So I want to be descriptive about sure. that. Um, the moderators of the uh, commission uh, working with a consultant, and that was Gil Rendell, uh, did what I think 
was a magnificent job in uh, not only keeping us on task, but engaging us in sufficient formational conversations where people early on began, uh, had the opportunity to share their story of faith, um, of context, and of how they approach this particular uh, subject in the life of the church. And I think uh, people engaged in deep, deep listening of one another. Um, we were resourced by uh, church historians who helped us uh, to look at the notion of schism across the history of the church and across uh, broadly writ Methodism uh, over um, uh, multiple centuries. Um, and there were people that uh, brought expertise from other seasons in the life of the church um, that helped us kind of get a sobering uh, perspective that, number one, um, we're not the first iteration of United Methodists mm -hmm. uh, to reach an impasse on some subject. Right. And, um, and so there was uh, almost a sense in which get over yourselves. Uh, <laughs> um, you're, you're not the first. And uh, in, more in the tone of there's nothing new under the sun. Yes. So uh, not that it's all the time, but there are these seasons in the life of uh, institutional institutional yes. churches. What? People work together uh, faithfully, um, and I, I believe people develop deep friendships. And I think people will continue to draw from that well of other members on the commission so that other things they learned about them, which may not have been on this subject, you know, I, I've sort of in my own head cataloged expertise that I just became aware of casually that people in the commission have about many things about the church. And I hope I can make use of that um, even when the conversation is not human sexuality. Absolutely. And one of the reasons I even ask you that is because, you know, there's a lot of anxiety in the church among the clergy and laity, among churches. I've had. certainly in my local church, the conversation is happening. It's happening other places. And I think this is just my opinion now that tone of the commission on the way forward and the tone of the council of bishops will set the tone and tenor of of general conference in 2019, which will then impact what comes out of that, I believe. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. I, don't know if I just kind of asked your opinion about that, but my main my main question of you is: after all that, what do you th just? It's just your opinion. How do you think it's all going to shake out? We've got the three plans here. What's going to happen? Just in your opinion. I know you don't have a crystal ball. I get that, but I just wonder what you think. Thanks for the crystal ball uh, softball. Uh, so let me let me say the right answer is always I don't know. Yes. Uh, my deep hope and yearning, and uh, I believe sufficient reason to believe is that we will find a path which may be something that's on the table legislatively or the amendment thereof that will create space that allow more people to say, I'm a United Methodist and not necessarily to feel positioned to say, and you can't be a United Methodist because, and then you fill in the blank. I do believe we'll end up uh, somewhere where like that. How much of that is um, hoping against hope um, or naive, um, I'm, I'm afraid to say, but I don't think it's um, by any means un, not possible. Um, but it'll take a lot of work on the part of the delegates. I think the thing that I feel challenged about, though not a delegate, obviously, is how much can you get done in three days? And will it be, will it be setting the sale and the rest of the work has to be completed in 2020? Those are things that are harder to, um, you know, at the compressed time. Yeah. Nail that down. But it is my hope that whatever happens, that uh, our church can be an example to our country and to our world of how to deal with 
very, you know, contentious issues personally and, you know, among your views and your theology and the whole bit and still do it in a loving way, a caring way, a peaceful way that comes out that shows us, can be an example to the world of how to do this, how to have differences and come out the other side. And having said that, I just want to give you just a couple more things here. What's your feeling about hope in the church moving forward? I especially would like to put in your mind's eye one of those young clergy, maybe you ordained uh, this year or just starting the process, or young lay people, millennials. I have three kids who are millennials, and I'm, you know, I'm concerned about their faith journey. But what's your sign of hope for the church in terms of speaking into the people's lives? I am always inspired when I'm out among the people that are doing the work of the church in terms of local congregations and community. And it's not that I don't think judicatories or annual conferences aren't doing the work of the church. We're doing a part of the work. But I get even more inspiration when I'm out in local communities and see how people are addressing poverty, incarceration, how people are being innovative and experimenting with how to reach um, what I think is fairly accurate to say, an increasingly secularized uh, society. And that's true not just in the U.S., but in many places around, around the church. So that gives, that, gives me, that gives me hope. Secondly, when I do um, uh, engage with people that are being commissioned and ordained, and have a time of retreat with them. Uh, We have the annual conference session and the liturgical service. Um, I find it tremendously um, inspiring that people still want to sign on. (laughs) And that's, that's, that's hopeful to me that people are saying, I'm prepared to give my whole life to this in terms of what we used to call full-time Christian vocation. Cynicism hasn't consumed some people then. No, it hasn't consumed them, and, um, and, and, and it's not just the people that sort of left a career, uh, they're so far in debt that they don't have any choice but to continue to, through ordination. I'm talking about the folks that are right at 28, 29, 30, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly under 35 that are saying, you know, I, I could now go claim another career before I get into this. And they're still getting on their knees and they're asking the church um, uh, to ordain them or commission them to full-time Christian service. Uh, Our licensing schools are full. That gives me enormous hope that people want to still proclaim the gospel and help form Christian communities that will make disciples and trans uh, transform uh, the world. So I, um, a phrase I've been using uh, is tell the pallbearers to stand down they can they can take off their white gloves and um, um, the the church writ large uh, is going to go on, but it's going to change. And the United Methodist Church will be moving forward into a bright future. But it doesn't mean it's not going to be hard work and it doesn't mean there will not be pinch points and places of pain. The choices will be how we choose to engage that. And if relationships matter um, and if the mission matters. Absolutely. I think that's a great place for us to leave it on a sign of hope where the mission, the ultimate mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world is what matters. And how we get there is what we're talking about, signs of hope. So Bishop Gregory Palmer, thank you so much for being our guest today on the United Methodist People podcast. Well, my friend, I hope that you received a blessing from our conversation today with Bishop Gregory Palmer from the West Ohio Conference. 
and uh, he was inspiring to me and gave us some some really things to chew on there, some really some great things to think about and work on at the local church level, as well as I thought some really pertinent things to say about the way forward and about our mission as a church. And let's just take a look at a, at a few takeaways from our conversation with Bishop Palmer. He talked about the importance of the local church in growing up, especially Sunday school teachers, and how important that was. He was influenced by his dad and his mother, his dad being a pastor, but also by those local churches, particularly those Sunday school teachers, in helping form his early faith. So I just want to commend us. Remember, those Sunday school teachers are so important in our local churches. He learned also about the process and about from his parents and from others about loving God, also being a servant's heart and calling to serve humanity. And that uh, his dad preached hard in whatever church he was at, large or small, and he learned a lesson from him to that. His calling to ministry was a realization that God was calling to him to something greater, and he had an inner sense about this, but he also tested that out with some friends and mentors. And that's an important lesson, I think, for us all to do, to test out our calling and with his own dad. And one friend had said to him something to the effect of, dude, what took you so long? People knew that he had a calling, that he had a calling to ministry. And that his uh, understanding about local church, that this is a place to experience life transformation. And the local church in the connectional system, through the conference and through the bishops, is to help people to be accountable and to move and to be uh, do things well. Understands that a part of this process is the church exists in our connectional system for leadership formation, to live, give a place for accountability to the mission we do together, a place to help us form and do hands-on mission together in our local areas and on overseas missions, and how we can do some things together better than we can do them individually. He talked about how that's manifested itself in some of the ministries in West Ohio, such as creating some new faith communities, kind of like the frontier experience of creating new, new things. He talked about uh, prison ministry and some of those ministries of folks in incarceration and getting them reinstituted back into society are important missions as well. And how the global mission influences the local ministry as well. And the combining of resources to help mission projects is so important. We talked a little bit about uh, the mission of our church, about our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And he admitted that we're not exactly knocking the ball out of the ballpark, the way he put it. But there's a lot of good things happening as well. That some of our churches get a little stuck in nostalgia, and we just can't be there. We can't be, be uh, see our institution of ministry as our reason for ministry. Our ministry isn't to ourselves. Our ministry is to, is to those beyond ourselves, to exist, exist to serve others. And effective churches use our resources not to stay stuck, but to move forward. I really was fascinated by our conversation about the commission on the way forward. He talked about how on the commission, the way forward, how the very diverse group, very intense work was done. It was all about overcoming and finding a way forward from this impasse that we have on the issue of human sexuality. But I was really interested in hearing uh, Bishop Palmer talk about moving beyond how this impasse on human sexuality has often drained our energy from what our true target is, our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And that he's hopeful that our, our conversation and the process of a way forward can help bend us towards the mission field more to, so that in a way that our mission can be to maximize the mission at United Methodist Church in more places rather than fewer places. And he hopes, is hopeful that we can move forward in a unified mission around our mission of making disciples. He talked about his hope is to make more room as possible rather than less room possible. Human sexuality 
does not have to be a dividing issue. So he talked about how well he worked in the, in the commission, the way forward, and how even though there's a lot of diverse views and approaches and, and how everyone had a deep faith and a deep sense of purpose and deep listening happened. And that was a good thing. And to understand there are seasons in the life of any institution. And then we may be going through that as well in our, in our church. But the idea is for people to work together faithfully. But here's what I really was touched by. Bishop Palmer talking about his hope for the church and his yearning that we can find a path by which we can create more space for people to say, I am a United Methodist, instead of having a, a, a concern for people who say you can't be United Methodist because of whatever the case may be. He's encouraged by the young people in our church, young clergy, young lay people, who are people who are still signing on to serve, even in the midst of the challenges that we have. He talked about this uh, licensing schools being full in Ohio and how there is just a lot of good things happening. And I really love what he said towards the end of our conversation, asking for the pallbearers to stand down. We're not dead. We're not dead. The church is going to move on, and we're going to move on and do some good in this world. And that's what we're all about as a church. I'm thankful to you for listening to our United Methodist People's podcast today. I'm Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, and I'm all about our church. I love our church. I'm a local church pastor. And I want to see great things happen in our church as we reach more people for Jesus Christ. And that happens when we have, among other things, conversation and commentary around the things that matter. How to fulfill our mission and justice. That's what I hope that we can be about here. If you'd like to learn more about what we do here at United Methodist People Podcast, head on over to our website, United Methodist, or that's unitedmethodistpodcast.com. And there we have a gift for you. You can sign up to get a gift of a presentation called The Methodist Way. And you can learn more. You can hear back episodes of our podcast with several other bishops. And you can learn more about what we're about here. And you, if you have a mind to, please go over to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends, colleagues about our podcast. Is this a place to have some conversation and commentary? You can check us out on our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com, or on facebook.com slash unitedmethodistpodcast, where you can have conversation and commentary there we'd also appreciate those reviews and those uh, and those rating uh, ratings five-star ratings and so on that helps people find us we love you we love the church we love the lord and that's what we're here to do and we hope that we can be helpful to you in your ministry by providing you guidance and assistance and some resources to use you'll find a lot of things in our show notes that can be helpful to you as well until next time, we'll be back with some more conversations with bishops in the church and other people involved with the life of our United Methodist Church, uh, lay people and others in churches and mission projects, folks who are doing ministry, doing something good for the kingdom through United Methodist Church. Because you know it's all about doing good, right? So let's just remember the words of our founder, John Wesley, who said this, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, and all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. So until next time, friends, this is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller encouraging you to continue to do all the good you can. Thanks so much for listening to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. You can continue the conversation and commentary about strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church to accomplish our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Visit the United Methodist People podcast on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect at facebook.com slash unitedmethodistpodcast. 
and always do all the good you can.